should be good. I'm all paranoid because like one of my podcasts, I, I didn't get the video going. But hey, Brand Browning, thanks for uh, thanks for joining me, dude. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Right on, man. Yeah, Glad I, to be here. Am I yelling at you? Is my coming in a little loud? No, that sounds pretty good. All right, yeah, maybe I'll just leave it there. I think it's all right. Gotta watch the levels. Um, but yeah, a little background, man. I mean, you grew up here in the Bitterroot, and then you went to Bozeman for the last like twenty. How long have you been in Bozeman? Uh, I don't know. I'd have to do the math, but yeah, I grew up in the Bitterroot. I went to Corvallis High School, graduated there, and then um, went on up to UM in Missoula. Uh, for Spent school? some time there in school, yeah. School of Forestry. Yeah. And after that, I spent some time in Big Sky and in Bozeman. So, yeah, I guess almost the last 20 years, yeah, Big Sky and Bozeman. Dang. So, but I was back and forth. I was in Missoula for school right out of high school, and then I went to Big Sky for like seven years, and then I told myself I needed to get back to, to college to get my bachelor's degree. So, um, and... 2013 is when I finished up my bachelor's degree, and then I moved right back to Big Sky, ski bumming up there. So in 2013, you came back to UM? Well, it would have been in 2011, so I had two more years left for my bachelor's. So in 2011, I guess it was when I... Oh, we lost something. Lost the the juice. Take a little uh, little commercial break here. Yeah. We could start over, too. It almost sounded like my sound went down a little bit at the beginning. Yeah, I was but just pl- I was playing. With oh, it a you did. Bit. Okay. Yeah. Shit, the yeah, math here. Now. I gotta. When did I? I don't know. Oh, we're back. It was 2013 when I graduated, so it would have been two more years left on my degree. So like 2010, yeah. 2011, somewhere in there. I don't know why that died, but we're back live, man. I'll, I'll uh, let me be uh, back on. Yeah, I'm gonna sync us up real quick. Or shit, I can just get this out, man. We'll just keep rolling. We back on. Back on, back on. Good to go. I don't know why that. You know, technical difficulties, growing pains of tech. That's okay. Um, so yeah, 2013. You said you that's when I finished up my yeah. bachelor's degree. Yep, UM School of Forestry. Ended up with a recreation management degree. Yeah. They call it. PTRM now, Parks Tourism, Recreation Management, and they have a couple different emphasis. There's nature-based tourism and natural resource management. So there's kind of more of the outfitter guide. I want to go into that type of, you know, guiding and hunting and that kind of outfit or the nature-based or natural resource management stuff was more, you know, forestry recreation type stuff so that's that's what i went into is oh nice natural man. resource management yeah man great great job and man, been nice having you around all the, all the work we've been doing together you know and with work stuff well it seems like every time we hang out man you got like a different like crazy adventure story you know about saving a one-legged cyclist <laughs> dude's life and you know well, over the years you know the stories start adding up you know you only remember the good ones or some of the bad ones yeah depending but yeah yeah it's, i think i told the story a few times so apologies to people who heard it but like i had a professor in um college who would always say that too he's like man you have this perfect day on the beach How, are you gonna remember that he's like i love those bad days because i'm never gonna forget him and he showed me this video of him out on this beach in the bering strait you know in alaska and wind was howling and he's from the video and uh video camera whatever he had and uh tents are flying around people are chasing their gear and their tents and 
just gnarly, you know, whipping weather, you know, just blowing rain and coming off the off the ocean too, you know, and he's just laughing and having a good time, you know, and recording it. And he's like, check this out, one of the best days of my life. And I was like, <laughs> you're a wild animal. But now I get it though, man, after like, especially being in fire, like, man, I mean, you, you remember some of those like beautiful, you know, good deal fires, but like those ones that are just gnarly, you know, just kicking your butt the whole time, man. Like you never forget those ones felt like they're always kicking your butt but some are worse than others i haven't been on a lot of fires that wasn't really my main job but um i've spent a few few rolls out there you know chopping it up with these kids you know yeah yeah when they they knew how old i was they couldn't believe it but you know yeah you look pretty young and you stay fit man that's that's key to it dude found the youth staying active yeah yes is what it is you just got to stay active yeah, man, it's, it definitely keeps you young. I noticed it with me, like, I, you know, in my knee, it'll start aching if I've been, like, in the winter, if I'm not as active. I can st- start feeling, like, going upstairs, start feeling, like, a little more ache in my right knee, and I think it's just arthritis trying to creep in, man, you know. The old saying, motion is the body lo- body's lotion. There you go. Yeah. You just got to do what you love. Yeah, man, absolutely. Um. So then you, you got the rec program out of school when you went to Ennis, right? You're in. Well, so yeah, right out of school in 2013, um, started applying for jobs. You know, jumped on USA Jobs and you know started jumping through hoops. And one of the first people to call me was the rec manager out of Dillon for the Bureau of Land Management, and so. Um, his name, Rick Waldrop, he's longtime recreation manager for the BLM. He came from Nevada before that. And then he spent tons of time in Dillon and, and working in the program there. And, um, yeah, I got my first, uh, first federal job over there in Dillon. I spent two summers working in the, the rec program over there as a, you know, recreation technician. Most of what I was doing was travel management stuff. So lot of ohv off-road so i I was doing a lot of gis mapping and sign inventory so they're sort of updating the travel management maps um, road inventories and sign inventory so just basically gis and, and gps a bunch of points on the map and documenting all the signage and roads that are out there yeah and blm's got so, a ton of ground out there don't they yeah Country? they're that zones like over a million acres Jeez. so yeah i know i helped out with a lot of blm burns in that country so i kind of got a little idea of it it's mm-hmm. it's vast man dylan's super cool i like doing a lot yeah there's so many different zones you know like it, it was cool it was really that was a great place to start um just spend a ton of time driving around every little valley you can think of down there and um found out about the centennial valley so yeah. anyone knows about that well, i don't want to talk too much about these cool places but you know, i know i know it's a downside <laughs> most people in in this type of business know about the centennial valley so yeah anyone who's been out in the outdoors yeah. you know hunters and recreation folks and there's even a, a race that my brother little brother runs in that finishes finishes in the centennial valley centennial valley because that's the first time i heard about it is when he was doing this race you got a room over there How's yeah what race was that Oh, I want to say Headwaters Relay, I think. Do you know about it? No. Nah. I want to say, I'm trying to think where it starts. It's like in Pony or Harrison, I think. I know, maybe I'm wrong here. But it goes over the tobacco routes, and then um, 
ends in the Centennial in Cent- Centennial Valley. I want to mm-hmm. say like it. I'm trying to think of how the route goes because I think it, it's like all backcountry. So I think you go. I don't know. I'll say start in Harrison. I, man, I wish I remember this, but folks can look it up. Anyway, so you start on the east side of the tobacco routes, go over, um, like into South Boulder and over Brownback Trail, it I think, and then pops you out on the Whitehall side in Waterloo, and then I think you cruise up towards Twin Bridges or down because you're heading south, and then you go through like Alder into Ruby, into the Ruby Valley, and I want to see you like take all those back roads, and eventually somehow it connects into Centennial Valley there, and it. So the relay works is, like, you have a team of, like, four or five folks, and I think you run, like, four or five mi- miles out of whack, I think. You know, so much long-distance folks. And uh sounds like a blast. Sounds like a really good time. So my little brother's done that quite a few times now. That was a long ways. It was a long ways, yeah. Like, it was kind of cool because, like, his high school, he had a really – he went to Manhattan, and they had a lot of really good, strong, long-distance runners. And uh they put t- put together a team that – they had a cool name for it too, and man, I'm blank on that as well. I haven't even thought I haven't thought about this in a long time, so it's you know not real fresh in my head. But uh, they, I want to say they were like back to back champs of that thing, or nice. something like that. Yeah, they. You ever heard of the, like the Eco Challenge races? No, what's that about? Those yeah. are like the super long endurance races. Oh, Eco Where like ultra marathons, like. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's like an ultra marathon put together with just about everything. Um, they were multiple day type situations oh, that where yeah, that's you, how know, this is. you start off as a group of four. I think it was three men, one woman. So it's like the requirement like was a, the, a, yeah, yeah to start out. You had to have one female, I think, on the team. But um, they did would just race across the mountains. You know, there was there was sort of a route. You started in one spot and you had to hit these checkpoints, but it didn't really matter where you went you just had to hit the checkpoints and get there but um there was they're just all kinds they do them all over the world um for a long time they were starting to gain a lot of popularity um and i got to they did one i don't think it was an eco challenge but it was something similar to one of those big races where all the big sponsored racers were there they did it in big sky oh really it started in big sky and ended in big sky but all I can remember is like, you know, run up the peak to the summit, down the other side, you know, down to the river, jump in the river and, and basically canoe, kayak or whatever down the river as far as you could, get to another checkpoint, run up and over the Gallatins to the to the Yellowstone Valley, you know, Paradise Valley, Yellowstone River. Take that mountain bike or bike down Paradise Valley up to the crazies run across the crazies and snowshoe, whatever it was. And then down the bridgers and then back around to big sky. Jeez, man. But, uh, th- that was just like a typical type of one of these races, you know, and it was like starting to get really, really popular. Um, so it's not just running like there's other, no, it's, no, I wasn't really running. So it was like a adventure race with hiking, mountain biking, kayaking, snowshoeing, just whatever sort of, was the the next phase of the race that came up and the race planners would mix that all in so you had to be just dialed you know that sounds really cool it was pretty cool i was like starting to get into like oh man i wish i could do this you know yeah some of these guys they were oh this is probably who knows how many years ago 10 20 years ago and i was like sort of getting into that and the best guys that were winning it were like in their 
late 30s, early 40s. Oh, hey, that's, that's like, right. Oh, man, these old guys yeah. kicking ass, and now I'm one of those old guys. Yeah. Like, actually, I feel pretty good at this age, so I yeah. can see how those guys are kicking ass and, and smoking the 20, 30-year-olds. Yeah, man. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm with you, dude. I think you, you kind of learn how to uh, – Support your body better, right? Like, as a, as a young 20-year-old, and it almost happened to me, actually, in Ricky training, I wasn't hydrating and, and taking electrolytes and just fueling my body, right? And then, so the next thing I know, I'm about tits up on the first day, you know, because I just l- got behind the hydration curve, you know? So, definitely, I think as you're older, you get a little smarter. You might, like, I might be a little slower now, but I think I'm better at, like, managing my systems and keeping everything online while, yeah, while going totally. some grueling. Never uh, knew. You get a little better and stronger the older you get. Yeah, it's I mean, at some at some point, you know, you're not gonna be able to keep up with the 20s and 30s. But yeah, it was impressive to see some of these guys, which I, what I thought at the time was was old, you know, yeah. that they were kicking ass. But yeah, endurance athletes are something else. And you know, these guys were long distance runners, but and world class mountain bikers that were that were on the those winning teams. But uh, it's just just impressive. Yeah, what well, they can do. Yeah, I mean, and, and the pain tolerance, right? People don't think about, I don't think, like, the average person thinks about running being, like, a tough sport, but it is so tough, man. Like, it is a different kind of pain when you're running long distance, you know? I'd rather ride a bike. <laughs> yeah, same, <laughs> dude. I'd rather, yeah, I'd rather sprint and do, like, I mean, those those workouts can be kind of grueling in their own, you know, way, but, man, a long distance, man, like, you got to have your brain right for that stuff, you know? It's definitely a different beast for sure. Yeah, it is. Speaking of races, though, I forgot to bring this in our, in your intro, so my apologies. Oh. But BMX racer. Right? Oh well, yeah. Bike racer. Is it BMX yeah. or is it different? BMX. Yeah, yeah. just little bikes, twenty inch rims or twenty four inch rims. And so yeah, I, I used to race as a as a teenager in, in high school, and you know, we used to used to do a lot of bike riding. You know, when I, I grew up on a dirt road. Oh. So, you know, skateboarding wasn't really an option. Yeah, same. You know, back then, because it would have been 90s, mid-90s, skateboarding was still a, a crime back then. Oh, true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. people like, don't don't skate here. Don't do this. Don't grind on that. Don't jump these stairs. You know, it was always sort of like the punk kid. There wasn't skate parks. There wasn't much of that going on back then. You know, 80s and 90s, it, it you know, everything was a crime right skateboarding yeah. is not a crime you remember that that bumper sticker or whatever yeah, yeah. so well it's uh, funny yeah, i did a lot more biking than i did than skating yeah i was kind of the same boat man my folks live way out of town on a really mm-hmm. really bad dirt road so yeah wanted got wanted to get more into mountain biking at that point i had to skateboard in like junior high and i'd mess around for school but even the sidewalks in whitehall were pretty rough and now uh there's a this beautiful skate park in whitehall you know tiny little whitehall yeah the skate park's like every little town now yeah you know, there's a big push um it's cool to see jeff ament skate army jeff ament he lives in missoula oh he's the bass player for pearl jam oh really so he's the big push behind all these skate parks and all these little towns he kicks in matching funds typically for all these towns and associations that are trying to get skate parks and he he'll pretty much throw down a hundred thousand dollars to match these Dude. other groups to try to build these skate parks and, and i'm pretty sure every new skate park that's ever been built in in montana in the last 10 years has got his name on it somehow oh. so he's a big push for that you know so he's he's given back to those communities i guess and he's always been a long time skateboarder and you know he's really successful with his music career so and he he 
skates around Missoula all the time. And really? I've seen him. I used to work for the city of Missoula and I was doing some maintenance over at Fort Missoula and he just happened to be walking by with his dogs and I knew who he was and knew what he looked like. And I don't know, I might've just said, Hey, what's up? How's it going? And he just kept going. But like, I knew that was him and yeah. a buddy of mine's a longtime bass player. And he, he always talked about him and how he lived in, he's got a house right outside Missoula. Oh, so cool. He's lived there for a long time. So Dang, what, what a cool yeah. cause, man. Like that. Cause I was just going to say even, even the little skate park in Whitehall, it, I think it was like a handful of us like playing around with skateboards when I was in junior high and uh you know most of them were folks who lived in town but uh that skate park is is always busy when I was going through white it's been a while but like right after it was built for sure that that thing was always like you know had folks mess around you know either like on bikes or a few on skateboards and like some other friends just kind of kicking around there and hanging you know so it gives a lot of the young folks something to do you know place to go something to do being outside yeah, yeah be, so. being outside is a huge part right now, you know. What's yeah. that? What were you calling it? The nature deficit disorder? Yeah, it's a thing, you know. Yeah. It's, there's, when I was studying rec management, you know, this kind of things come up. And one of those things that really resonated with me was this idea of, of nature deficit disorder and what was happening uh, at the time. You know, that was 10 years ago, 12 years ago you know all that time like phones smartphones well within the last 20 years basically but within the last probably decade last dozen years phones really started to to pick up screen time so this this guy came up with this thing nature deficit disorder and you know it was a lot of it just like kids are replacing their their outside time with screens and um I should look up the definition of it here just so we can get a better idea. But it's basically taken away from any time outside. Yeah. And it's leading to obesity and depression and a lot of things that, you know. Yeah, that humans need in life, fresh air, vitamin D from the sun, you know, interaction, even like dirt, you know, like getting in some soil, you know, like um, I think it's super important, especially for when you're growing up. Um yeah, it's bad. You know, it's tough because, like, I get it, too, a little bit, man. Like, I, I haven't played video games in years, but when I see, like, commercials for them, it's like, jeez, man, like, it, I can definitely see where it could get you, you know? There's games like World of Warcraft, you know, when it first came out, you know, where you're hooking everybody, you know? Yeah, I'm not a big gamer. I, back in the day, the the coolest game I thought was out was 007 for uh, N64. Nintendo 64, yeah. yeah Golden I want to think, right? Play a four-player, yeah, and go shoot them up on paintball mode and play with your buddies. And so, like, at that time, it was really cool to have one of those. That yeah. was probably the only game I ever really got into was that, just playing with buddies all night long. And But I was more into, you know, all the fun stuff outside. I wouldn't – I didn't really spend much time inside. I was always – kicking a soccer ball around or riding bikes or you know skiing or trying to snowboard or doing fun stuff like that and yeah probably just because you know my dad used to spend a lot of time outside as a outfitter and guide and he ran around the frank church for a long long time and so growing up it was kind of the let's go down to the river and do some fishing and let's go hunting and you know i never really got super into hunting but i would do it yeah and fishing and stuff like that but just spending time outside camping and hiking 
you know, I wouldn't say my dad's all hardcore about it or anything, but it sort of just got me into the outdoors, you know, got me outside and growing up in Montana, you know, there's not a lot of those superficial things to do. You can't yeah. go to theme parks. You, you don't go to malls very often. I mean, no. sure, the mall in Missoula is okay, but, like, you know, it's we, nothing like the cities have. No. So it was more like, find what do you got to do to get outside? So finding things to do. Yeah, because everyone would go to Silverwood or uh, the one in Utah. I don't know if that one's still around. In Salt Lake. You know, those are the Yeah, like the one parks. in Salt Lake Lagoon is still there. Yeah, Lagoon, yeah. I've never been, but drive yeah. by there, I was like, oh, that was cool, but... Silverwood, I've been to that a couple of times as a kid. My parents took me over there and oh, everything, cool. but yeah, I've never been to that one either. It was never, it was never anything like I always wanted to do, but yeah, same. Like I, yeah, and that's where I was different too. Like I never had the desire to go to Disneyland or Disney World as a kid growing up. You know, like I remember, but like some of my family, you know, obviously like my grandma and aunt and uncle or something all went one time when I was in like I don't know grade school, and uh, you know, my aunt really likes Disneyland, but I was like or Disney World one too and you never you know, never really had much desire to to go there even as a kid. Like you said, I'd rather be out in the woods doing something else, you know. Boy Scouts helped, I think. You know, I was in Boy Scouts as a kid. Oh, you were Boy go. Scouts too, weren't you? No, I never did Boy Scouts. Uh-huh. I don't know. No, never I guess I never got signed up for it. I was just sort of my own Boy Scout, you know. Yeah. Well you were kind of like you're doing, doing it on stuff. my own, yeah. Yeah, with your dad. Yeah, too. I don't know. I'd I'd have to ask my folks why I was never into that. But I did uh you know, 4-H, I did some show, like, sheep shows. My mom used to raise sheep and stuff, so oh, yeah. we would we would do that and had a little farm and stuff. So, like, I did that a few years and rode some horses here and there and things like that, but... Yeah, the know. horses, man. We had horses growing up, dude, and, like, it's a shame about, like, kind of this uh, rural development, too, is it's, you know, taking a lot of hay ground away and hay's, you know, going up in price and then having these hot summers, and uh, it just seems like we're not getting... Getting the hay production anymore, so the price is going up, you know. Price is going way up. Yeah, so it's hard to have your own horse anymore, especially a blue-collar person, you know. Yeah, it's, you know, we could talk about, you know, water use and growing hay in Montana, but that's a whole nother podcast, you know. Yeah, but, uh, the next one. We could talk about, you know, farmers and ranchers stealing water from our rivers, but I'm not going to go there. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, it's a, it's a tough subject, but... I got, I think we talked about, I got to have that first time with the Smith River, you know, like I was going to float it and then they got that drought out there in, in that country by Great Falls and, uh, you know, as soon as that happened, they had to start hammering the fields with water and drains the Smith down pretty fast. So Yeah, the other one is uh, the old Jefferson where you grew up, you yeah. know, that gets pretty low. It does. There's a little mud hole at the end of the season. Yeah, there's probably more water going through your big ditch <laughs> yeah. to agriculture than there is actually in the main stem of the river. But uh, especially in some spots. But that's probably why the otters are angry. <laughs> the old, the old, the old attack otters. Yeah. <laughs> that's a wild story. That happened this summer, didn't it? Yeah, that happened this summer in. I've heard of one other time. I worked on the Madison River for a long time, but before I started working out there on the Madison, I heard about an angry otter chewing on a tuber, you know, floating yeah. down and chewing them up. But this story seems to be like the More, mega. Yeah, the mega. The, the mega otter. Yeah, dude. It does because, like, uh, you know, the way that you know, the story came, you know, when the story came out and the gal was, like, recalling it, you know, the one who seemed like took the most damage because it seemed like it got, got all three of the gals that were floating. Maybe there was more, but I think it was three. And um, 
the one you know, in deep enough water where she couldn't touch and the thing just kept coming back and she was having a hard time fighting it off and I mean, she did, did a good enough job because it you know she was able to walk away from it but i mean it was like chewing on her face and all got like her hands were all beat up and stuff yeah yeah i saw some of those those photos and that, that's just brutal i yeah, just can't imagine girl. that happening i mean just on unexpected situation like that and all of a sudden you're like fighting for your life i guess you know like yeah. what is going on and in, in Otter had the upper hand, right? I was like, gonna say, in its in, environment. you're in his environment, her yeah. environment, whatever that Otter thing was. But man, tore him up. There's a heck of a story, you know. And thank, thank goodness, you know, Gallatin County Search and Rescue is probably one of the top search and rescue teams in the country. I mean, they they're top notch, and they put a lot of time and, and energy into their training. And when you call them for help, they'll be there, and yeah, they good, they even dude. help. Madison County and Park County, you know, because Gallatin County uh, Search and Rescue has a helicopter and, and an Alpine team and and a technical ropes team, and so they're they get called on a lot of, of calls to help. Um, yeah, with that that much uh, capability, I guess you'd say, man, expertise yeah. like that's huge, especially for that country. You know, a lot of a lot of folks getting caught in that Alpine country, especially when that remember that fellow had that reward or whatever that like. Uh, oh, the Forest Finn? Yeah. Like the whole treasure hunt thing? Yeah. Yeah, that was wild. It was wild. I'm glad that's over, actually, because... Me too. Recreation managers and people at the agencies are, like, starting to go mad because of all these people showing up looking for these places. And, like, and you know, especially in Yellowstone Park or National Parks, I think two or three people died, died looking for, it. Yeah. The looking one for yeah, fell off the, a cliff for the deal you know yeah. and like they're trying to get all these clues because i guess forest fan used to work in yellowstone and they they were just trying to track down all this stuff where where they thought it was you know people put themselves in really really sticky situations like yeah climbing on the side of cliffs and falling off or i think there was a story a guy like jumped in a river or something or fell in a river and got swept away and <laughs> You know, we we had people out on the Madison River and in the Bear Trap Canyon wilderness area scrambling around looking for this stuff. And, you know, people asking us questions when we're out in the field, if they if we knew anything. And we we were finding places where people were digging up natural resources and, and all that kind of stuff where they're tearing up public land just because they're looking for this dude's treasure and yeah. there was nowhere to be found in montana i think it was found in new mexico oh really santa fe oh wow i didn't I think know. I, i'd be wrong on that but it wasn't but found in montana makes the story better you know what i'm saying then people yeah. have to track it down if we're not right you know i always wondered if it even was real but I apparently it was so yeah. but the guys the backstory of the guy like i don't know he he used to be like an archaeologist and stuff and so some people say he was kind of shady and might have got some of this these treasures you know, not in the in the most appropriate ways, but yeah. you know, I don't know the whole backstory. But I wasn't about yeah. to go looking for it. No, I mean, you know, like I, you know, in uh, my romantic story, it was like I was gonna jump this fire, you know, and like I'm parachuting down this cool ridge and like it do my PLF, and there would be, you know, right right by my head. And I'd be like, boys are rich, and then roll out, roll out into like, the sunset. All right, I'm just retired. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no more jumping. Yeah, that never happened though. No, it never happened. Yeah, I'm still on the grind. Uh, yeah. Here we are. Yeah. Man, what is it? I don't know. I mean, this is far-fetched, but D.B. Cooper, you know the story? I don't think so. Mm, uh, what if there's a connection there? I mean, like, if there's, like, ill means of how he got the money. What What was that? The D.B. Cooper story? Oh. Oh, yeah, I don't know. 
Yeah, he uh, hijacked the airlines back in the 70s or 80s or something. Oh. I want to say 70s maybe. And uh, they they landed somewhere, and it was in the Pacific North, Northwest, and um, maybe like Portland or something. I can't remember where it was. But uh, they never called him, and he demanded like this money in the parachute, and they gave him the money in the parachute, and then he had the pilot like fly kind of low and head towards Mexico or something, and they just bailed out somewhere over the forest, and they never found him. That's a cool story. <laughs> yeah, it's a cool <laughs> story. Yeah, the uh, Without a Paddle, that movie they're trying to shoot. If you ever get bored, it's like a comedy where they're trying to find D.B. Cooper and his treasure. Gotcha. They have, like this map they set up, yeah. And they they thought it was a smoke jumper because there wasn't a lot of people with like any kind of parachute training back in those days. So they're like, man, it's got to be a smoke jumper. So like they thought it was, like he was from Redmond or Redmond, Oregon or NCSB up in Winthrop there. So... They're looking for somebody. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know too much of those you know, so, stories, but that's uh, a good one. Yeah, that's yeah, and I you know, thought maybe I'd find find his treasure, you know, on, on a fire somewhere. It's a you know, bag full of money stuffed in a cave somewhere. But You always uh, hope to find something when you're walking out in the woods, right? You're like, What what is the next little thing you're gonna find or Yeah. You know? Well the part and you know, I don't know, maybe someone can explain this to me one one day, but like the part that like I was always wondering about is there used to be gold like everywhere and I guess maybe prospectors found it all but we're always digging right like at fire folks like i mean there's so many folks that are digging in the woods all the time it's like how has someone not found like a nugget or something you know like you never hear about any fire folks maybe they're just really quiet about it no one says anything because that'd probably be the smart move but yeah i don't know i don't know if you're just gonna find a nugget there but you never know yeah but you're digging you're digging all the time digging yeah, yeah. And, and digging cup trenches and stuff so you can go a little deeper maybe just digging a cat hole to you know put your business in you know <laughs> Six inches deep, and you find a ten-pound piece of rock. Big old golden nugget staring at you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've never been much of a prospector. Ah, uh, me either, man. I just kind of always figured, you know, slap a Pulaski off one or something. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just catch a little nugget, even a little one, man. It's just kind of cool. Like, hey, found some gold on a fire one time. There you go. But it never happened for me. But uh, well, if they, you know. <laughs> if if it wasn't firefighting, right, it it'd be called gold mining. Yeah, true. Yeah, if 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 anyone found any gold, probably you know, nobody, everyone would want to be a firefighter if we found a bunch of gold out there, right? Maybe that's the incentive. Yeah, start, start <laughs> hiding gold out there. There's some gold in those hills. Yeah, something. Some find some kind of vein. Yeah. But then I guess I cut you off there. You went, you, so you went to Dillon and be alone. Oh right, back to working. Oh yeah, did you ever find the nature? Yeah, it's, there's some terms out here. This this one guy termed it um, Richard Louves, and he wrote a book, Last Child in the Woods, Saving Our Children from Nature Deficit Disorder. And just at the top here, it says, Nature Deficit Disorder is a term you may have heard of in recent years. It's a relatively new idea that people, children in particular, who spend less time in nature may suffer a range of physical, psychological, and behavioral problems. You know, and it's just, it seems like that's where things are going with, you know, society that they're glued to screens. And I kind of like noted that 10, 12 years ago, like when I first started finding out about this stuff when I was studying recreation management because it was kind of part of the curriculum, you know, and screens were starting to replace time outside, right? Yeah. And teachers were using, are using, or are still using that technology to replace 
field trips and spending time outside and and Mm -hmm. we know at home kids get slapped with a smartphone or a screen right off the bat it's a babysitting tool now i mean i'm guilty of it you know yes but especially like when you're out somewhere you know your kid's getting a little restless you're just like here check out this little disney show you know or whatever it's just interesting because like all these sort of mental health things are starting to really pop up with kids and even adults, you know, that seems to be more prolific than it ever has been. Yeah. And it sort of correlates with the time frame of technology getting to the point of sucking people in. And now technology is so strong with the way that it adapts to, you know, basically getting people to be addicted you know mm-hmm. they've got psychiatrists or psycholo- psychologists and all these people that studied human brains working for the corporations that kick out all this information so i've been you know seeing like all the clicks and dings and dongs that come from those apps are just like gambling yeah. you know just like a casino machine or well, so, you know it's addicting to your mental state and so uh, you're always like going back for the quick fix you know it's just getting more and more so it's sucking people in and really i started seeing more and more kids stuck inside or more and more kids leaning to video games and less and less kids wanting to get outside and and do just kick around in the dirt you know And, and just be outside because for me spending time outside is where i feel the most alive Yeah, and I feel good connecting to the outdoors and I think there's something there so I spend a lot of time outside yeah me too man like all the time like even the winter and stuff like I I like the idea and I probably got this from that professor I mentioned earlier on was like just being out in the elements you know like um me and me and the family drove through the uh was it the arctic vortex last year and not like because we wanted to it was just like that was our trip plan and and um we were just hoping that like we we're trying to skirt it you know it, it i think it was coming north to south i think it's typical storm tracking but we were gonna be ahead of it and then it was a uh, i think it was like a day ahead of what they had forecasted originally on the original forecast i looked at so we kind of got stuck in the middle of it we got held hold up in rapid city for a while but it was just kind of cool to be out there in the elements though you know and and uh, we, we were trying to, like, to go down this back road near Wall, and it just wasn't turning out. You know, blizzard was too bad, so we turned back, went to Rapid, and it was just, like, I was out there, and it was negative, real feel. I think it was, like, negative 30 or something. And that was, like, I don't know what the wind chill was, but it was a howling wind, so way cooler than that, you know. And, uh, man, I've never been that kind of cold in my life. You can only be out there for, like, a couple minutes, and, like, you were to the bone chilled. And, I mean, you couldn't survive out in that. And it just... Kind of cool experience it though, you know. So this Arctic vortex is that something that you made up, or it was actually a place? No, the Arctic vortex was what they're calling the, oh. the weather event. Oh, I got you. Yeah, okay. yeah. I was like, did you find? I was, some I was, cool in, the, I was in the vortex. Well, because well, yeah. there's those vortexes in Sedona. Uh, yeah, yep. and there, I heard there might be one up in Columbia Falls. Oh, really? Be you ever been to that weird house that's up there that's like all off kiltered and it's like a vortex house? Oh, that's in Columbia Falls. Yeah, oh, I've heard about like there's a God, there's another place called like that somewhere around here and what is it called? Something Zone? Is that the same one? It might be. I don't know. I don't get too caught up in a lot of those 
vortexes, you know, try to avoid them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Apparently, though, people believe in that stuff and you know follow the vortexes. I mean, Sedona, Arizona, is a huge like spiritual crystal kind of like crystal vortex thing. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I got some a friend that her mom's like real big into the the healing and and kind of spiritual you know vortex and kind of yeah it's not religious type of stuff it's more it's healing like a, through those like crystals and stuff like that yeah know? it's this earthy mother nature kind of yeah. like um almost like religion or spirituality yeah yeah I, I dig it man like whatever gets you out in nature you know like a, a, get outside yeah exactly i think it's great man like i don't know if the vortexes are working but there's definitely a feel i mean you've been to sedona huh yeah, I've been there a few times. Yeah, I love it mostly for climbing. Yeah, right. All yeah, all that like sandstone, red rock stuff. Yeah. And man, it's yeah, it's just cool, man. Like you, there's something there you can kind of feel it. You know, I, I don't know what it is. You know, like I, I'm, I'm not like going out vortex searching, but I was there on fire. You know, and then I was there for vacation one time, and yeah, something different. It's just a cool place. It is, you know, man. It's so different from Montana. I like, I like to, you know vacation down to the to the southwest and the desert because yeah, it's so different from Montana that. That everything's new it seems like yeah. and like, you're like whoa what's that oh what's that you know and all the smells and everything's the different yeah. so i like spending a lot of time down there yeah. me too and that's probably why you know that could be part of the reason why it feels like powerful and special to me because of that right like but there was i mean you th- like i was talking to this uh archaeologist fellow um i want to say it was jason nez was was his name he worked uh for the uh what's it um oh man grand canyons i think national park maybe and he was up there doing like read stuff on a fire, I think. And he showed us some really cool um, pictographs and uh, just like talk, gave us a little like rundown of the area when we were on an en- a Type 6 engine down there and uh, me and some Steve I folks. And it's just cool because he's talking about like the, the Hopi and the Apache and Yavapai, I want to say, like all these different uh, tribal nations that were living in the area and trading and going through the area and like how busy it was like not that long ago. It's like, wow, man, that's cool so i mean it's been drawing humans forever it feels like that area you know yeah i mean all the all the tribes all the people that are still down there you know yeah it's wild yeah totally man and they all you know feel like they're all kind of still drawn to that area you know and so yeah maybe there's something there it seems really cool i mean like havasu falls isn't that far from there and havasu falls is really awesome on the havasu pie you know uh, reservation there yeah that's one thing i have i haven't spent much time in that zone i'd like to go check that out you know yeah man go check it out yeah that permit's hard to get but man it's super cool yeah especially now permit systems at national parks are pretty wild man yeah it's it's real hard that one's ran through the tribe so it's a little harder because they have to have someone kind of manning the phone and at least it used to be and you had to call in and Hmm. usually get a bunch of people just like chain calling so they i get it man they get overwhelmed probably real quick and they just like as soon as the permits are done, they, I don't think they answer their phone, so it's hard to get some <laughs> info on it, but huh. yeah, I think they get hammered in like a 24-hour period, and then they're you know done dealing with the phone. Is that for the whole year or for the day? or? I think it's, yeah, for the whole year, I the think. The year just like... Yeah, it just opens up for like one day. Up. Yeah. I mean, it was supposed to open for like a week, but I think it just fills up in like one day, and did I don't you, know, that was years you, ago, though. Like, is there cancellations or you can jump in? That's what I was trying to figure out. Is like, yeah, yeah, like for us, you know, like with our reservation, recreation.gov, you know, you can get on the cancellation list, like you're saying. And, um, yeah, with them, though, I mean, if you get through, maybe, you know, like you get on, but I think once it's the books are full, I think they just leave it alone. So, like, if someone can't make it, I think it's just unfilled permit, you know, bum deal. 
Yeah, only a certain amount of people get to go anymore, especially how popular things are. So they only have a certain amount of people that can get in for the year, and that's it. And if mm. you're not the lucky number, then maybe next year. Does it make it that much sweeter, though? Uh, yeah, I think so. It? I mean, I don't know. I just, yeah. I mean, kind of seems like it, though, because it's like, then it's like this really hard thing. And then when you get there, you just really want to absorb it because you don't know when the next time you'll be in that area. At least that's how I was. I mean, I can't remember how many waterfalls that we ran into. I want to say like five right off the bat. <laughs> like it's nice. it's nuts, man. Hmm. Yeah. Three like big ones for sure that I can remember, but I think there's like a couple other little ones and, and it keeps going. We should have enough time to see them all. Mm-hmm. I want to say there's like seven total if you do like the full trail. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Man, great, beautiful world out there, dude. In the recreation Lots world. Lots to see, right? Yeah, it's, you know. Put your phone down and go hike. Yeah, man. That's dang. We're too early in the podcast. End it there, but that. That's, oh yeah. That's a good. That's a good. Uh, that's a good message to send out there. Or how man. long have we been at this here? Uh, I don't know. Thirty minutes so far. Yeah, a little over at 40, forty. Jumping minutes, around so. a little bit, but yeah, that's what podcasts are for, good. man. Yeah, because I, you know, I got a bunch of stuff just in my brain that since since I met you, because I, I think I said in the beginning. Um, when I first met you, I was like, oh, man, all right, this, yeah, this guy's into outdoors and rec and stuff. And, like, every time we talked, it was like, didn't know about the bike racing until a couple of weeks ago. And then your arm was all, you know, wrecked, <laughs> you know. <laughs> they all rolled rash, you know. Got to pay to play. Yeah, man, you yeah. left some skin on that track. Luckily, that was the only thing that happened. But, uh, yeah. And and you kind of said earlier. Play. Yeah, you kind of said earlier that you used to race, but you still race. Yeah, it's, you know it's fun i'm competitive i don't i don't just roll over so when i get into something i try to go as hard as i can you know but uh it's fun i started back bike racing i put my daughter on the track when she was four years old and so she started racing um on the track at four years old and so she's been out there now four years um and we've traveled a bunch of places and it was really just uh to get her on a bike so she could learn to ride and she's really good and got a lot of balance and just just it was cool to see you know i took i put her on a a pedal bike at three and i took her training wheels off at three and a half so she was pedaling at three and a half and then she was racing the bmx track at four so she's kind of pushed her along there and you know we've rode a bunch we've we've raced in port angeles washington for a big race over there we've raced in salt lake city for a nationals race and um, we've we've been to a bunch of places in the northwest just to ride together and that's been a lot of fun and so i kind of got back into it when she was in it so i would take her to the track and just be sitting on the sidelines and i finally was like oh all the other dads and moms are there like oh you should get out there and of course you know borrowed a bike from the track and started racing and you know it's like all the rad dads out there trying to chop each other up and so (laughs) i'm like you know i'm pretty competitive i think i could do this and so i got back out there and started riding and i won a couple of races i'm like i should probably get a bike and so then i bought a bike and raced and like oh i'll go to a bigger race and i'll see how i do there oh i went there and did pretty well and bought another bike and so now i've got two oh nice (laughs) dude and she my daughter's got two bikes now too so we race our class bike which is the 20 inch rim and then there's cruiser which is a 24 inch rim so there's kind of two styles of bikes and so you get you can get a chance to race twice yeah two bikes for the day and so 
we started racing both of our bikes and yeah it's been i don't know four years now and this last um year i took it pretty serious and started racing around the northwest and and qualified for the northwest championship and went to richland washington just a couple weeks ago and had a rough go when i got there but uh it's not fun the first day in the first race you go out there and you slide out in the first corner and take yourself out take out some other people get ran over you know that started the weekend out so that was that was pretty brutal and you know that's that's where i lost all the skin on my elbow which is pretty wild because i had elbow pads on but tore my whole elbow up so i'm not really sure how that happened but yeah just going so hard (laughs) yeah and then i had a tire track across the back of my back you know from where this guy ran me over but you know i wear all the gear so it wasn't too bad but you know starting off a three-day weekend race with a crash isn't really fun but no turned it around turned it around and you know things got a little better throughout the weekend and by sunday things really turned around and and i ended up on the podium on set on sunday so that really helped my my points for the overall so i thought i lost it but there was still enough points overall to to take second for the northwest for my age group so that was that was fun to take home that's awesome man second place overall and i get to ride the the number two gold cup plate for next year which is going to be pretty sweet so that's really cool so man. Stoked on that yeah really st- especially took some time off man and getting back into it and i think one of the biggest things i take away from that man is that like you're setting this great example for your kid you know yeah, she can she can look up to that, and uh, you know I'd like to see her have a little more grit out there. But you know she's young, and we're trying like everything with her, and I think that's what's important is just something to do. She's met a lot of friends out there, and I think yeah. that's super important. You know for social skills and just meeting new friends, and and now she can she she's got lifelong friends. If she wants to keep doing it, she can. If not, you know, we're moving on to some other stuff already. And, and that's just life, you know, but just trying to stay active and hopefully started with BMX and a lot of, a lot of pro mountain bikers this day and age say they started bmx racing you know because that was just the the progression was starting on small bikes and then moved to to bigger bikes and into mountain biking and so really looking forward to getting her legs under her a little bit more and we can go trail ride and and maybe even race mountain bikes somehow enduro or cross country or even downhill but you know getting getting back on the bigger bike here eventually probably going to be a focus for me so we'll see how it goes but yeah that's kind of my passion is is mountain bike riding and you know i used to race enduro and race cross country a little bit back in college and and then just kind of life took over and didn't didn't keep doing it and then had the kiddo and you know we know how that goes when you have a kid it's sort of your time's over time's done (laughs) so i'm trying to find my way now that she's a little older and find back back to those things that i like to do you know so yeah i used to rock climb a ton and and you know through my 20s and in my early 30s i used to rock climb a ton and sort of kind of like chasing those sort of adrenaline junkie type sports you know like snowboarding and skiing and and mountain biking and climbing especially is that that kind of high level endurance you know that kind of yeah get you You need it all for climbing really yeah yeah totally man using different different muscle groups and stuff but kind of like you said man like when you first have a kid you you kind of give up some of your you know freedom and some of the stuff that you do your hobbies but uh i think it all comes back around like i think we and you talked about this before where it's like 
for the first, I don't know, well, for you it was less because like three years and then your daughter was on a bike already. But I think for a lot of folks, it's like maybe the first four or five years when you have a kiddo and then eventually they're mobile and they want to be out. And as long as you, um, you know, are active yourself still, you can get them back into the share of the hobbies that you are, you know, passionate about and you know they're coming from your genetics so they'll probably be into the same things and if not i mean they can branch out into other uh, other activities but at least it keeps them active and then you get to go do share your passion with them man that's kind of what i'm looking forward to as well you know with with my kiddos down the road you know yep yeah just showing them what's up showing them what's real yeah man some of the stuff they see on tv and on these screens isn't really real so you know sticking to to be an outside, yeah. If you show them the the right ways, and hopefully those paths, they they'll go down those same avenues and stuff that that we're going down, you know. And absolutely, show them the doors, right, and then give them the tools. Cause drag them along if they don't, if they like it or not. Because what I've noticed with the kiddo, we take her outside and get her going, and and wear her out. She sleeps a lot better. Yeah, right. So if you sleep better, then you know it helps your mood and your health and immune system and all that, you know. Yep gets back to all this screen time and stuff and just just trying to disconnect from these phones you know it's yeah it's it's rough well yeah if all the studies that i've seen are correct about the blue light you know and the blue light keeping awake and then you know if you do end up going to sleep you're probably not falling as deep asleep because you get blasted this blue light for so long and usually it's you know for all anybody who's got any kind of electronics usually sit down watch some tv the news your phone or whatever right before you go to bed you know and i been trying to be a lot more cognizant of that, you know, just open a book, you know, and that's, I sleep way better. If I can open a book for about like, usually I'm shooting for a half hour of reading time and usually like 10 minutes in, I'm, I'm about done, even if it's a really good book. And, but I sleep like a rock. Yeah. I sleep so much better after that, you know, and versus like scrolling through Instagram or, you know, whatever, you know, Craigslist, <laughs> you know, looking for stuff on, on there, you know, I'm always like shopping for something, you know. They find a way to keep you hooked, right? Like, I mean, it yeah. just seems like they're just always trying to to keep you on the screen. The more time you spend on the screen, the more time you, the more stuff you buy, the the more you know. Yeah. I don't know. It's double edged sword, right? Like our society is moving towards technology, but also it's taken away from the core values of people's families and and spending more time outside and being you know, social, being social, and so it seems like. You know, these kids these days can barely hold a conversation. They don't want to go out in public. They don't like groups of people. And I don't know. It's just that's not how I was raised. I was raised outside. And so I, I'm trying to keep with that, you know, and not get sucked in. Yeah, no, same, dude. Like, I got fortunate enough to grow up with, you know, really active dad and family. And, um, you know, both my parents really and the whole family are super active. And then uh, we had horses and we were going to Moxies and rodeos and, all that, you know, kind of fun horse things that people do, you know, just go on rides, hunting, all that stuff, you know, and, um, it was good because it's a community, man, like really good folks, you know, all these horse people, cause the ho- you know, you got to take care of your horse and you got to care for something else besides you, you know, cause if you don't take care of your horse, it's not going to take care of you. So, um, you know, like those lessons of like, you know, going on a long ride or out for a long hunt, you know, riding a horse and coming back and like making sure you tend to the horse before you tend to yourself and, you know, like, uh, I don't think a lot of people get that anymore. You know, it's like, I'd be starving, but I'm like, I know I gotta get the saddle off, you know, get this horse brushed down, get him fed, make sure he has water and taken care of, 
before you know i go and take care of myself you know i'd be dead tired sometimes i mean i'm not just riding i'm out there hiking a lot of times too you know but then as a kid you're like fighting it so hard but as an adult it's not as bad you know you're like yeah man make sure you know old cody or whoever you know is doing good here before you know i go take care of myself you know is that the name of your horse yeah cody's yeah yeah my brother i kind of took him over lately and and turned him into a real horse he was pretty young when i was messing with him and and then my brother's a, a vet and does a lot of he goes and helps out with a lot of brandings at old school like roping you know and branding and um and then he's got another horse that he lets some cowboys use for um going to like cowboy camp i can't remember exactly what it was but it was like basically just like um tending some cows for the summer and in, in the mountains and he got a ton of miles on on his other horse chuck and we got this other um, pretty good sized horse, um, Pete, and he's a buckskin. He's beautiful, and um, he's a good ride too. So, got pretty lucky. We got some good horses, and my dad, and my brother, have been keeping up with them pretty good. So, um, which keeps me from having to pay for hay. <laughs> so <laughs> go, go to Whitehall and get to ride, you know. Yeah, that horse stuff, man. I don't know. I just try to stay away from those horses. They have their mind their own. They do, man. But, <laughs> but yeah, when you get one that's like on the same page as you, though, man, it's like this kindred spirit thing. You know, it's it's powerful stuff, man. Like um, even like today, you know, like Cody's pretty much my little brother's horse now. And but like he and he kind of has that with like the whole family. But he's like he comes. You don't have to if you want him. You don't have to get a, like a halter and a lead rope. You just go out there and he comes right to you and he'll follow you right to the hitching post and and uh then you you know then we usually throw stuff on him in case the car comes down the road or something but other than that i mean you pretty much could like saddle him and he just stand there without even like a halter and a lead rope you know he's just that kind of like awesome horse i don't know if you do it for everybody probably would maybe just that friendly but you know like it just feels like there's a connection there um but i've i've messed horses forever so i mean I'd yeah i grew up around him and stuff i've been yeah, cause your mom's into horses, right? Yeah, my mom's yeah. got some some. She's downsized to ponies and miniature but, miniature mules, and so. But you know, back in the day, I used to ride a little bit, and you know, did a little bit of western. I did some English jumping, and oh, really? You know, pony Dude. did pony club. You got some vaulting. skill, Dude, If you're doing that stuff, you got you some know, skill. I wasn't then. that good at it, but you know, I've been I've been kicked, <laughs> bit the bite is the worst, off, dude. You know. I got a bump on my back that from a horse that bit me. It's never, never away. going away. No, <laughs> people ask me what's that from. I was like, I got bit by a horse. Yeah, people don't that know. Thing hurt. Yeah, they got those real flat teeth. You oh, know, they got such powerful jaws. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that thing tore me up, and so, you know, there's been a lot of times though, or not a lot of times, but there's been a few times I've been packing elk quarters out on my back like, wishing i had a freaking horse or a mule because <laughs> even a mini mule a mini mule or <laughs> yeah. a llama yeah llama you know, know. people use those alpacas now too. alpacas yeah, yeah. i saw a guy go up to west goats Park. yeah goats yeah. yeah take anything really you could pack a, a steak or a backstrap out for you you know i don't know <laughs> yeah. how much a goat's gonna haul but you yeah. know yeah your your backpack for you or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know get a whole string of them give them like 20 pounds each I don't think it handle that, but probably a goat. You think goat can handle twenty pounds? I doubt it. But maybe anyways. ten pounds. I don't know. Yeah, but, uh, I got through the teaser because I was kind of hoping you'd talk about it. I don't know if you want to. You don't have to. But the the one legged rescue. Oh, yeah. Like when you first started telling this, I'll let you go. But like when you first started telling this story, I was like, we're jumping around quite a bit with with my life story. But you know yeah. that that's okay. I, I uh. 
so I was working for the BLM as a park ranger on the Madison River, and so I spent nine years um, working for that agency out of the Madison Valley. So I was based in Ennis, um, and we have a recreation staff out of Ennis, and they're separate from the main office in Dillon, so sort of the redheaded step sister out there in Ennis with the rec program. So kind of out on an island, but yeah, spent spent nine years helping run that recreation program. And so part of the recreation program over there is the Bear Trap Wilderness Area. And it's one of the first designated BLM wilderness areas in the country. And Lee Metcalf designated that wilderness area. And it's adjacent to... um, Spanish Peaks and and why am I drawing a blank all of a sudden? The wilderness that's all through there. What am I? Mm, I should know this too because I was on the B Bar D forever. Uh, I'm just having a brain fart, but it's connected to um, oh the Lee Metcalf oh. wilderness and and all that whole area. Spanish Peaks, Gallatin Range, Madison. See, that's where I get confused because and so. for folks who are listening, um, who. You know, think you just said Lee Metcalf, but like there's Lee Metcalf Refuge here in the Bitterroot. So like, but it it makes my brain stick because initially I was really thrown off because coming from that country and knowing about the Lee Metcalf Wilderness and then also the Lee Metcalf Refuge here, like it, it threw my brain for a loop. And I still like get dyslexic with it, you know. Yeah, so I think it's probably similar. You know, Lee Metcalf was a pretty pretty important dude. Yeah. Did a lot of cool things for for the agencies for the environment. Um, so anyways long story short this is a pretty small wilderness area the bear trap canyon wilderness area is i think it's about eight thousand acres it's basically the madison river corridor it's about eight miles of wilderness river within that canyon it doesn't really stretch much outside of the the river corridor oh um it's Part of it's bordered by the Lee Metcalf Wilderness, which is in, like, the Gallatin Range, the Spanish Peaks right in there. And the other side would be state land. Um, And the other part that it borders would be the Flying D Ranch, which is one of Ted Turner's ranches. Yeah. And so... the size of Rhode Island. Yeah. I mean, it's huge. It stretches from... You know the Madison River to the Gallatin River in Four Corners and back. So if everyone knows that area, it's a huge, huge ranch and giant. A lot of elk on that ranch. And so, anyways, getting to this story, um, this we're out on patrol for the day and we're just checking recreation sites and we cruise up to um, the Bear Trap Trailhead and and over there it's kind of a unique place. It's there's only one way in and one way out to that canyon. There's only one trailhead. You can only come in from the bottom, unless you're floating the river. You can float the river from the top and go all the way through. Um, But for hiking, you can pretty much only access it from, if you want to access the river corridor, you come in from the bottom, and it's it's eight miles in and eight miles back out. Well, a lot of people like to go up there in the spring and climb up on the rim and get on the Flying D, Mm. where all the elk are. Yeah. And so uh, they're pretty much on Turner's Ranch, and they have, over the years, have increased, it's been increasing the amount of people trespassing and poaching horns, you know, the the, the cost for 
an Elkhorn has gone way up, you know. Yeah. A heavy brown is, I don't know, if it's a full set, maybe five, six. That might be the low end. That might be the low end. Because like I said, years ago, like a, just a decent set was like 400. And so I don't, because I remember, uh, you know, this guy I knew um, for a long time was making a pretty good side hustle on it. And it was part of like the fun was like, you know, horn hunting, get you out in the mountains and got to figure out where the animals are going in the fall, you know, and then have your little better hunting odds in the, in the fall, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a big business, you know, the flying D I think they said they picked up $90,000, $100,000 worth of horns last year. Makes sense. And what they do is because that's a lot of money. They incentivize their employees that work on these ranches to to turn the horns in, and that hundred grand is their bonus at the end of the year. So they collect all the horns and put them in a pile, and then they go sell them, and and then there's money. Smart business. You know, there's multiple ranches that do this. You know, we we could go on and on about all the big ranches out there, but this one particular, because I worked with the um, the ranch manager or uh, you know the the ranch security guard kind of guy. He was always running up and down the border of the fence and the public. And, you know, they always have trespass coming from public land, right? You know, so they go up the bear trap Canyon, climb the wall, you know, the, the, the Canyon walls and get up on top. And that's where the flying D ranch is. And so, um, he's always out there trying to catch people and he's caught a lot of people. And, and in particular, this one guy has been doing it for years and it's really hard to, to, to catch him, you know? And, <clears throat> yeah. Only and, one guy probably patrolling most of the time. You, you could come walking out of the bear trap Canyon with a whole pack of horns, but if you never caught them on the private property, you don't really know where they're coming from. We all know there's not a lot of elk sitting down in the Canyon. It's, yeah. it's not really, they don't just sit down there. They sit up on top and hang out in those big open meadows and private property, right? No one's mm-hmm. up there. So, Anyways, we we're up there patrolling one of the trailheads in the morning, and we just run into a couple guys, and they're looking a little shady. And there's a younger guy, pretty scrubby looking, and then another guy is a little older, and he was on a bike. And we're like, well, you can't take a bike into the wilderness. This is a wilderness area. You know, there's no bikes allowed in the wilderness, but you can ride up to the to the sign, you know, yeah, and it's, it's like, border, right? I don't know, not very far in, a couple hundred yards. I mean, it's really not that far kind of around the corner so you just take off from the trailhead and, and we're like well you could just ride your bike up to the trailhead and he explained to us he he had a prosthetic and you know he's like oh you know we're like well just ride up to the trailhead and you drop your bike at the at the sign and then and then you have to walk in and we didn't really think anything of it we just kind of gave him the spiel and see you later you know yeah. have a good day so we went on with the rest of our day and you know we're out we're out doing whatever and we've, we've got the, the truck radio and it's connected to the Madison County Sheriff's department. And so you can hear any kind of calls come out and we, there was a call for, there was a injured hiker in the bear trap Canyon and me and my coworker just look over at each other and they look at each other. I'm like, I'm like, Justin, this has got to be your guy. This has got to be your guy. Yeah. It's the and he because he was the one that ended up talking to him and stuff. And I was like, this has got to be this has got to be the one like a dude. And we're like, this is crazy. So we 
we heard the call go out and so we know the area pretty well it's like bear trap canyon and, and so we went and we heard as an injured hiker and they need help and they're in and, and they need search and rescue and so we ran back to our our office and our shop and got a hypothermia kit first aid kit and our backpacks so we could go in there and we were gonna tie in with search and rescue and, and emts at the trailhead and so we we ended up getting down to the trailhead with one other guy from madison county search and rescue and and he's you know just a, just a local dude you know volunteers they just show up when they hear the calls you know and yeah um so and if, he shows if, up and if they're available right because like yeah. they have full-time jobs yeah. So, yeah so this guy shows up and and he's ready to go with his his search and rescue pack and we're with him and and we ended up carrying a backboard up there like a smaller backboard and our hypothermia kit and a bunch of first aid kit that he had and so we get you know i don't know we're we're a mile or two in you know probably two miles in and and he's up on the side of the mountain and so we we scramble up there and we get to him and so there's kind of more to the story but turns out he him and his his nephew were hiking up to go horn hunting and they were headed straight up to the to the top of the canyon to the rim basically and we all know that's going right on to the flying d and so yeah and the turners going on to turner's ranch to look for horns and well somehow these guys got separated and so you got one guy with a with a prosthetic fake leg going up and then you got a younger guy well the younger guy i guess took off and kind of ditched his uncle and his uncle's climbing up the canyon by himself and I, I don't know what he got into but he got into a bunch of rocks and either was either bouldering up these rocks with one leg with one leg yeah, yeah. and i guess ended up taking a tumble down these rocks and he, he cartwheeled down the rocks and, and piled up at the bottom well during the fall he hurt his his like kind of pelvic ribs area hip area real bad when he slammed i guess when he fell but it, he also lost his leg the <laughs> the fake leg tumbled down as well so he's up there on the side of the mountain and this i think he fell like 10 11 o'clock in the morning and Ooh. he's up on the side of the cliff by himself after this fall no way to you know he's hurt he can't move so he's stuck there and from what we could tell he started a fire um you know this is kind of in the fall i want to probably say it was september oh. or no wait no this is horn hunting so this would have been sorry it would have yep. been in april because yeah, the, the college kids were back so oh yeah. let's call it that's i'm getting the wrong time so it was it was april and it was still might have been yeah about april may Somewhere in there. I know it's still kind of cold, but anyways, the college is around. They, um, he starts a fire and he's like trying to do like a warming fire or like a help me fire. Oh, a signal fire. You know, kind of like a signal fire is what he was getting going because he was hooting and hollering on the side of the mountain and no one could hear him. Well, later that day around three or four o'clock, a couple of college kids from MSU were walking in to, to go hang out fishing, whatever. I don't know. They were just up there though. They heard him hooting and hollering on the side of the mountain for help so a couple of them scrambled up to him got to him and there's no cell service in in the canyon itself you know you're out of service and so one of them ran up to the top of the rim 
to get cell service. So that kid got up there and made the call. I think it was like three o'clock in the afternoon. The call came through the radio and said, we got an injured hiker in the Canyon. And so anyways, we get up there, um, to him and we're like, no way. This is just telling my coworker. I'm like, this is your guy. He's like, this is, this is insane. Like (laughs) one legged man on the side of the mountain. (laughs) So we, we help him as best we could. And it was on a really, really steep slope and search and rescue from Madison County had requested mutual aid from Gallatin County. Oh, Um, you know, Gallatin County's got a high angle crew. They've got a helicopter. Um, just, they have more training and more experience and just more, more availability for that stuff. And so they call in Gallatin. Well, we're talking, you know, four or five, six o'clock rolls around by the time, gallatin shows up and they get there on the ground and they're like well we can't we can't really move this guy down the mountain um it would have put all of us in sort of danger of getting hurt and so yeah you don't add more victims they don't want you don't want to have an incident within an incident right we know that that's bad yeah and so they didn't want to move this guy at all so like well we want we want the heli to come in like well maybe life light gets spooled up and the life light comes and they fly around and they're like, we can't, we can't land down in the Canyon. They, they thought maybe le- the life light would land down at the bottom and we would transport him off the mountain and they were going to put him in a one wheel litter and then basically rope the litter down this scree field in this face to get down. And they're like, well, no, that's probably not going to work. And uh, we need, we need the, another helicopter. We need the short haul. So they're like, you know, Life Light couldn't really do anything. So Life Light took off and landed at the parking lot at the trailhead and maybe another hour later. So we're talking like 7 o'clock. It's probably getting dark around 8, 8.30. Finally, Gallatin County Search and Rescue shows up with their heli and their two guys on short haul. So they rig, they they come in, they fly around, and they, they go out to the trailhead and they rig their short haul. And they come back in with two guys on the line and we're sitting there helping them, you know, get them, get them all set up. And so they drop those guys off and helicopter kind of takes off and just hovering above, you know, while we're packaging them up in their, their whole short haul sling and all that kind of stuff that they, they need to bag this guy. Yeah. And I think we're talking about eight o'clock at night. I mean, it's getting dark and this guy had been on the mountain for Probably 10 hours. Probably pretty cold, too. It's getting cold. Yeah, temperature drop. We helped him quite a bit when we got there. We had sleeping bag, pad, you know, all that kind of stuff to to keep him warm. And so we were starting to – he was starting to go there at that point where shock and all that stuff was catching in. But um, luckily it just all actually worked out really well. And and the short haul came in, and they got him out of there right in time and took him to the trailhead, dropped him off, and – put him in life flight and took him back to town and that's more so, medical medical attention <laughs> yeah we always joke about the one-legged man that rode a bicycle into the wilderness <laughs> yeah and then did you guys <laughs> were, had to get rescued it had to get rescued yeah see yeah, don't bring a bike to the wilderness uh no but did you uh catch his did you guys find his leg well we did find the leg and like later that afternoon we're still dealing with the injured guy his nephew came down and you know he didn't quite seem like he was all there you Mm -hmm. know i don't know enhanced maybe yeah just (laughs) 
who knows what he was on, but you know, Ugh. just just didn't really look like he was all there and didn't really even grasp the whole situation. We're like, we've been helping your uncle for like six hours on the side of the mountain. Where where have you been? You know, and he was just up on the. He like ended up grabbing his uncle's leg and hiking out. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, and just boogied. Never saw him again. We're oh, like, oh, that was really weird. That's weird. And so you never hear about how these stories turn out, but um. You know, this guy was pretty rough. He was telling us he had some bullet holes in him from a bar fight, and he had lost his leg from whatever reason, and just a rough dude. You yeah. Know? And they're, I think, you know, up there try to get some horns and get some money or whatever. And, yeah. Um, get some more back alley supplements. <laughs> yeah, it was his nephew was long-time poacher on the Flying D, and actually um, – this was a couple years ago that this story actually had happened, and, and we kept seeing the nephew over the last couple years out at the trailhead, and we're like, well, we know what he's doing. You know, he's a big horn hunter, and then, like I said, I was working with the, the ranch manager over there to try to try to figure out where he's going and where he's at. and um, Give him a heads up, too, probably, huh? Yeah, and so was it last? two years ago, um, we were floating through – the bear trap canyon and there's a there's a real popular spot at the um bear trap creek and that's three miles in from the bottom and that's where most people backpack and camp and hang out or just hike in for the day and out well we get in there and we always check the campsite try to clean it up make sure there's nothing out there well, we go up there and back in the bushes there's a camp set up hmm. I'm like wait a second this is crazy this is there's a tent there's the you know the black and yellow tupperware bins you get from costco like yeah. the big ones yeah, yeah there was a couple of those garbage bags full of sleeping bags and blankets and clothes and just all this stuff and i'm like i think i know whose stuff this is and the camp had been abandoned so usually what you horn hunting about what april yeah i think so yeah so he'd been going in there in the <laughs> snow so he was like sledding all this stuff in with a sled and a frame pack over the snow i think and had been setting up out there for a long time so no one's really going out there in this in the winter and and in the snow so no one's really saying anything and if people go out there they say oh there's a camp i'm gonna leave well i knew exactly who it was it's the same guy that we've dealt with year after year and um persistent it's all this crap i mean i mean it was eight or ten bags of trash so we left it and came back a couple weeks later and said we're gonna we're gonna clean this up like this is abandoned camp it's been here for months we know it's abandoned they're not coming back let's clean it up and and get it out of here and so uh, me and the crew ended up cleaning everything up you know the old tent all the crap i mean just everything and it, it ended up being a lot of stuff and we took it out of there and it felt really good to, to clean that up and be like you know what maybe i'm getting the last laugh here <laughs> yeah. none of this stuff was worth saving you know and and the policy you got to keep stuff around for a certain amount of time if you collect it from somebody just in case they come back looking for it you know oh. so if you you know clean up bum camps whatever you want to call them abandoned camps technically you're supposed to kind of keep that property around for a certain amount of time so when someone comes back looking for basically their trash yeah we still got it so we we kept it in one of our storages for the summer and 
finally ended up throwing it all away once it got past that time but um yeah yeah no one's coming back to get that no one's coming back but yeah anyways the this that whole story just we always laugh about how we had to help rescue a one-legged man that rode, yeah. his, rode his bike into the wilderness. <laughs> yeah, that's what, that's where you had me the, the other day when you told me the story. I was like, what? <laughs> you know? And, and then, like, it's an interesting story, just, like, how it all came together and the, the model work that went in. And, you know, and that, you know, for, for folks listening, like, it a typical rescue operation does take a lot, you know, because you, you got to figure out. It's not like in the movies. Um, there's, like, a Stallone movie back in the day, like Cliffhanger or something near It's like... People are just on standby waiting to rescue people. Was that supposed to be in the Tetons or something? Did you ever see that cliffhanger Stallone movie? Yeah, I don't like to watch that because there's a lot of stuff in that that's not real yeah. in climbing. Um, but like and in the, yeah, the bolt that broke and stuff like that. Yeah, like, his girlfriends. It doesn't really happen. And it's yeah. just, yeah, it's just over the top. But yeah. Yeah, because in that movie, but, yeah. wasn't it like, like, there's like these rescue rangers that are like hanging around the Tetons and like when people get stuck on the you know hillside then they go rescue them like they're just on standby kind of it's like that's not how the national parks or anybody works you know like not quite like that that was Hollywood yeah totally so which I know a few folks that are on the they're climbing rangers in the Tetons yeah and they're they're based out of Jenny Lake and um those dudes are some of the highest level badasses you can get you know the amount of Oh yeah, the amount of calls they get up there on the grand are insane. Oh, so maybe I'm wrong. So th- those guys are kind of just on standby for that stuff, then, huh? A lot of them are. Yeah. Oh wow. I mean, they've See, got search and rescue, but the park rangers, especially the climbing rangers, that's pretty much their job. Oh, gotcha. Yep. Yeah, because they know they know the mountain and they're trained for that. Yeah, yep. that's really good. I mean, they probably save a lot of lives because people get in over their heads or maybe oh yeah or whatever. Yeah, I think. You know, the Grand Teton, it's one of the most used climbing mountains in the north, in, you know, in, in North America. Yeah. Uh, their the visitor numbers are huge, you know, thousands of people getting guided up that thing. Like, it's just, it's a rodeo if you're ever up there in the peak summer. Oh, I bet, uh, Just man. people after people. But really, the hard work is pulling the bodies off of the mountain. Oh, after you know? the fact? Like, yeah. After they expired? Yeah, I mean, people fall up there all the time, and, and you don't live from a fall up there. And um, oh. yeah, there's some there's some so, crazy stories. I've got a couple of friends that had to get help on the mountain. Um, I don't know how many years ago this was now, probably ten years ago or something like that. Um, a group of people were climbing up there, and you know, weather can come in really fast in the Tetons, and it afternoon thunder and lightning can just happen. Yeah. And they're up there climbing and they're on the summit and a really nasty lightning storm comes in and just starts pounding the mountain and they're on top. There's really no cover on the top of that peak. And yeah. um, there was multiple groups on the mountain at the time. Well, um, long story short, my two friends, they were hit by lightning. Oh. Um, they both got hit and were injured pretty severely on the mountain. Brutal. Um, one of them when the lightning hit her, it exited out her hand and she lost her pinky and one of her other fingers right there. Like it kind of like instantly almost blew her finger off. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that like with toes too. And she, she was hurt pretty bad. Um, and then her, her boyfriend, um, he had internal lung damage and he was pretty burned. 
And that's just my two friends. You know, there was 19 or 20 people on the mountain at the time. And it turns out this particular day turned out to be one of the biggest rescue on the mountain it's ever had with 20 people hurt, uh, multiple people, multiple groups hit by lightning and actually one fatality on the mountain during, during the time where everyone's trying to run off the mountain and there's a pretty tricky spot to get down. You actually have to rappel down this section unless you're pretty good at down climbing some pretty steep, loose fifth class. You can down climb and get to this ledge and then traverse across something that's called the, the crawl. And, um, that's the standard route, but I guess some people were trying to get off the mountain real quick, got hit by lightning, and, and one of the guys ended up getting hit or, or tumbled or blown off the mountain, and he fell into the black ice couloir, and that's that's like a couple thousand feet down, you know, so he didn't live, oh. but the during the rescue, I guess Harrison Ford lives down there, and he's a helicopter pilot. Oh, yeah. Him and his helicopter pilot jumped in his personal craft and went up there and started helping the park service and search and rescue haul people off the mountain. Jeez, so there's man. a story out there of Harrison Ford helping on the, one of the largest rescues on the grand that's ever happened. Yeah. I always heard about that as a kid of him or maybe not as a kid, but just a couple of years ago, I guess of him helping out. Cause what was that? Like 10 years ago you said? Yeah. I want to say it's probably at least 10 years ago now. Yeah. Cause mm-hmm. I was, I hadn't gone back to college yet. So it's like 2010 or 2011 or something somewhere in there when, um that happened to these folks yeah yeah because i, I kind of remember the time frame because I, I was fighting fire to whitehall at the time man yeah good dude but harrison ford's like he's a pilot you know he yeah. flies and he lives in jackson and stuff so yeah not but, very far but anyways yeah, yeah. Well, that's cool though I, I you know i thought the movie was just stretching it you know the cliffhanger movie that yeah because i part of it because i was like man that'd be my dream job you know to be like old you know sly old sylvester stallone and you know just you get climbing around and you know rescuing folks but i bet like it'd be brutal because like you said a lot of it's recovering bodies you know yeah yeah there's two two groups of rescue folks that i can think of which would be yosar which is yosemite search and rescue um they're top notch with that kind of stuff you know because that's that's the the big wall mecca of North America's Yosemite, you know, so they have to be super technical to, to make those rescues. And so in this um, probably small time period of time too. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's just a short amount of time when you're trying to get someone off a mountain, but a short haul off of a two or 3000 foot face is a lot different than the short haul that I participated in, you know? So there's some really tricky stuff that they have to get because, you know, those helicopters can't get that close to the wall. So mm-hmm. how do you get, a line down, you know, there's all these crazy tricks that they can do. And like, they grab these big long poles and they use a pole to grab it in or a rope or something like that, like uh-huh. a, a grab line or something. Yeah, and, yeah. But anyways, the, the Yosemite search and rescue and then the Teton, um, search and rescue. Those, those two groups are some of the highest level. And I'd say Gallatin County as well. You know, those, those groups right there, those three, and I know there's more groups out there and rescue places, but, yeah. From what I can think of, you know, those are the 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 three that that I'm mostly aware of, and and they're top notch dudes. I mean, this guy that I know, um, he is a professional ski patroller at Big Sky for a long time, and he started moving into the more professional world, and and not not to say that ski patrolling isn't, it's actually turned into quite a career for people. Yeah. Um, 
their you know big sky even unionized their ski patrol but he went down he got a job with the park service as a climbing ranger in the tetons and you know you have to be top-notch alpinist to even get on this crew you know you have to have a resume of rock climbing mountaineering ice climbing like backcountry skiing like you just have to have it all and you have to be basically badass at it to get on this crew you know which is crazy like these guys are so highly skilled they think i think they start off at like gs7s really? you know like yeah. not that high no you know and especially in that they area do some really cool stuff and yeah. you know the stories for him i'm sure just added up over and over and over the years oh yeah. i bet yeah because you know folks don't really get it like understand like the gs system like gs7s uh if you're on fire it's not bad because you're getting overtime pay but as a gs7 who's not getting overtime pay and living in a um uh expensive area i guess you know it's yeah. uh like jackson you know area grand teton area yeah GS7 doesn't get you very far yeah he's he's down there in jenny lake and at the ranger station so in the summer uh, you know there's some you know when you you go to those cool places there's some benefits to the job you know possibly cheap housing at a ranger station or something like that where you're right there in the mix of the whole thing but yeah. you know you're you're in employee housing government housing it's not your own you don't really get to do your own thing you're probably around other people and stuff but yeah sharing um, sharing a house or something yeah but these guys man it's top notch and you just hope that um those are the guys that show up to help you when you need help yeah when you're a bad situation right yeah Yeah. Yeah. if you're ever trying to support anything search and rescue in your local area definitely give them some money <laughs> yeah yeah or volunteer you know, you know all volunteer yeah. at least down there like some of those groups those bigger ones those guys are paid but um at least the climbing rangers and stuff in the park are they're national park service employees oh, yeah. but um some of these other groups you know the gallatin county search and rescue teton county search and rescue those guys are all volunteer and they they need money to be able to to get to the equipment spin those helicopters and get the equipment and everything and the training and stuff so yeah, yeah if you ever have a chance to donate to those places uh yeah go spend some money yeah, if you're looking for a good cause because you never know when you're gonna need it yeah man and well and you're kind of in, in a way you're helping save other lives too you know by like putting some money towards a good cause like that you know Helping buy the equipment and you know getting the getting the the good equipment so people get out there and help th- help folks totally yeah but yeah, man. We, you know, we we're kind of sk- jumping around, like you said, but uh, um, but I, I was I was gonna forget the one-legged story, so that's why I wanted to say that one. But yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, to tag onto your um, uh, nature deficit disorder thing, um, I think this tags in pretty good from what we talked to you before. But that's why you started your own uh, kind of side company business. Um, What's four hundred six Mountain Yeti? Yep. So yeah. four hundred six Mountain Yeti kind of came out of this whole going back to college and getting my recreation management degree, you know, and, um, the nature deficit disorder was just sort of this like trigger for me to, to try to, to figure out a way to, to connect people to nature. Um, and, and that's what mountain Yeti's motto is, is find your next adventure, connect to nature. Um, and so it really was just, a an idea and a philosophy to just talk to kids, talk to people about outdoorsy stuff, you know? And I kind of, there was um, just a a time there where I wanted to try to give back as much as I could. And so what I did was um, I 
needed something tan when you start talking to people about outdoorsy stuff and and you know why we like it and why we why we spend time outside um i i needed like a tangible thing to give people like a sticker or something a t-shirt right and so mountain yeti is actually um like a face mask like a buff right it's a, it's a fleece um face mask basically and and i call it a mountain yeti because you know you you want to harness the nature of this mountain yeti and, and get outside and use that that power that that strength of the of the mountain yeti to to be successful in the outdoors because um staying warm in the outdoors is really important so like you lose a lot of heat through the back of your neck um and so if you can protect the back of your neck um keep it you'll you'll retain like a lot of your heat through your head and the back of your neck and so the fleece neck warmer which i call a mountain yeti um is specific to western montana that's that's where the mountain yeti cuts its teeth yeah, yeah, like the, the myth of the mountain yeti, right? Yeah, exactly. So, like, you know, West Coast, I think it's like Sas- or not, maybe, Sasquatch, right? Yeah, maybe not myth, you know. I mean, who knows? Oh, no, it's not a myth. It's just nobody knows where they're at. Yeah, yeah, just like, got to find think, them. You know, you just got to find them. And so <laughs> West Coast is, is like the Sasquatch. And, you know, down down in the south, I think, is the Bigfoot. And mm. then, you know, over in the Himalaya is sort of the, the Snow Yeti, right? Like, yeah. So they, they're all over the world. But a mountain yeti happens to be, you know, born and, and raised here in western Montana. Yeah. But, um, you know, all that stuff is kind of just just a play on this this outdoor connection. And so I... And having a symbol, you know, to kind of represent it, too, I think is big. You know, something that people can remember. You know, like, oh, yep. mountain yeti. You know, and then have a little story, backstory, you know, too. Yeah, I got, all, I got a bunch of swag in my car that I was going to bring, but... uh show show you what some of the logos look like over the years you know it's changed a little bit but um oh, cool. the philosophy hasn't changed you know it's just get outside connect to nature and and you know this story about a mountain yeti is is just goes along with it and that can captivate the audience a little bit yeah and people laugh and, and stuff and um then younger kids you know yeah and then cool. i'll hand them a sticker that's got a yeti on it and um, I hand out these the face masks, and um, I've I've done some screen printing on them, and screen print Montana logos on them, or screen print a mustache on them, or a beard. Um, so I would I would go and and spend a lot of time at my local hill up at Lost Trail, and I work with uh, their marketing and in their events guy up there, and so I would help them with their events and just volunteer my time and. I'd give them a bunch of face masks and T-shirts and hats and stickers to give away to kids and stuff. And what I thought was cool over the years, I would go up there and I would see. I still am seeing. I've kind of cut back a little bit of it, but um, just because life was catching up with me. But uh, yeah, I would see these kids wearing these neck warmers that I've made over the years, and I thought that was really cool because they're still holding up. So I would buy the fabric from joann's i would i bought a sewing machine oh really? i learned to sew so i would cut sew package screen print all of my own dude yeah so that's I'd cool a little little shop in my garage and yeah just spend time doing that and you know i really didn't make a lot of money off of it um i would get like a free ski pass for the day and go help out with their events and stuff and yeah really it was just like a way to talk to people yeah and, and just the backstory of of the mountain yeti and you know connecting to nature and just 
just getting outside and not just not just giving up, you know, and trying to find those avenues to to be outside more. And yeah. it's like, oh well, I'm going to another event. And so now I've done events at Lost Trail and at Showdown and I've got some connections there. So my friends that I went to college with are now like, you know, mountain managers and yeah. doing lots of stuff in the ski industry. So having those connections has helped me out a lot too. And so sort yeah. of grow the business per se. And uh really it was just an idea to connect people to nature and then just talk about it. If it's a story or if it's say, Hey, you know, get outside. Yeah. Go well, do something fun. Tell me a story. Yeah, man. I like it. Like I kind of mentioned earlier, like that's part of why I want you on is cause you know, it's all your adventures. And then especially, you know, with that brand too, you know, if you're trying to, you know, sp- spread the, uh, just the awareness and the the fun and the adventures, you know, of the outdoors and, and kind of funneling through your brand to help, like, like I said, put a symbol to it and, you know, maybe leaving a little reminder because, you know, during the summer, you know, you may not be looking at your buff, but then the winter, it's like you get all your ski, ski gear together and there that sucker is, you're like, yeah, I got to remember to stay outside, you know, and mm-hmm. get after it, you know, and not let the weather keep you from going out and having a new adventure and, and also, like, the adventures you've had. I mean, we talked about the well, Three Peaks and, and El Cap. Well, it's... it's Como um, Peaks. So there's the Como Peaks, and the, this route that I did quite a few years ago is called the Bitterroot Grand Traverse, or recently it's been called the High Fives Route, and oh. I've got a, a friend, um, Nate Bender. There's probably some people listening on this podcast that know who Nate Bender is. He's a long-distance mountain runner, and he's coaches running and stuff. And oh, he's done a lot of these fastest-known times on peaks and stuff like that. And more recently, he nailed down what he's calling the High Fives Route, which prior to that, it's been called the Bitterroot Grand Traverse. And that's um, down in, in the Bitterroots there behind Como, Lake Como. And so there's there's five peaks in this kind of cirque up there. And um El Capitan, which is the one in the very back, and then coming to the south and back towards the east between Como and Tin Cup, there's the Lonesome Bachelor and then the the Three Sisters, which are the Como Peaks. Oh. And so total, there's five peaks there. And um, Nate, I think, did it in like six and a half hours. Dude, that's and a so lot. you know he's this mountain runner and, and that's probably car to car yeah. um and and i mean it's a long ways but um dude that's, so that's I think impressive. It, it took me and my buddy you know we weren't doing any fastest known time we were just trying to survive but we we did uh basically two days one night on the mountain and we hiked into little rock lake and we camped there the first night in the evening um and so i guess it was kind of two nights two days but uh that first day it didn't really count, I guess. It was a couple miles into the lake and so then yeah, that later next, start. Yeah, so then we start super early the next day and um so that day you get up and to get up to the top of El Cap you have to climb up this snow gully. And this is in July. Ooh. We're talking July, mid July. There's still snow in there. And it's kinda tucked in, but that's sort of the access. So you climb up this little snow gully and then you get to the ridge, and then you can just run up to the summit. And then, so we hit that first, and then over to the Lonesome Bachelor. And we were able to get up that. We had a little little bit of climbing gear with us for 
roping up on that one because I knew some friends that had done it before and they said that one was a little technical and they needed some help getting off of it just to be safe. And so we brought yeah. some climbing gear up there, a short rope and some gear to protect and repel off of that one. So for that first day, we got those two out of the way and then we camped down below the summit of the Lonesome Bachelor. And it was kind of crazy. That afternoon, a huge lightning storm came through. It was actually the same time the Darby Rodeo was going on. And um, we were able to get down to this meadow off off the high alpine and kind of get out of the way, get our tent up and hunker down right when this storm just started hitting. Lightning's hitting the peaks everywhere, and then it rolls through the valley, and it's slamming down and turns out. That same storm hit the Darby Rodeo grounds and zapped a couple people. Oh, man. So, like, actually hurt some people. I don't know. This was quite a few years ago. Must have been 2010 or maybe before even. I don't know. Dude, close call for you guys. Yeah, it was kind of a close call. You don't want to be on those peaks really afternoon, right? When you're a mountain climber, you don't really want to be on those peaks. Because that's when the storms are bubbling up, right? Like, the goal for most alpine climbers is to be on the summit before noon oh i didn't know that yeah that's that's a rule kind of one of those rules that you should follow you you just want to be starting early and that's sort of the the turnaround time is if you're not to the peak by by noon or a little after you're having a a really high chance you're gonna get hit with afternoon storms yeah yeah even if it's not like anything too crazy that's usually when the wind's kicking up and the winds could be crazy could be gnarly and you're fighting that and that could be dangerous too that makes sense though i never all the people i've known have done more like the alpine climbing and and summit bagging you know or peak bagging um they uh like my little brother did uh is it granite right granite's the big one in montana yeah that's the tallest peak in montana yeah 12,800. Yeah. Which, yeah, you know, you figure Montana's got all these mountains. You, I, in my head, I thought it'd be at least 14 or something. You yeah, know? you're hoping it would, but yeah. no, it's, 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 it, but it's, it's just like the third tallest or something, or, but it's like one of the hardest. Yeah. You know, it's like the second or third hardest peak to climb out of all of them, even though it's not one of the taller ones. I think it's the top, it's in the top five for tallest, oh. but oh, it's really? like, the second or third hardest to climb oh geez in the um, lower, lower 48 yeah, yeah yeah just because it's a long ways to the top yeah yeah because the trail long ways yeah because the yeah. trailhead starts so low right and it's fairly technical for a high for a for a high summit um it's it's one of the more technical that you need i mean the grand is probably the most technical to get up and then is the grand taller Grand? grand is a thousand feet taller, and I was Ooh. hoping the grand was fourteen thousand, but it's only thirteen eight. Oh man, thirteen nine, something yeah. like that. So yeah, I haven't cracked the fourteen. I was going to ask, haven't haven't busted that ceiling? What's the what's the closest fourteen or do we to us? Do you know? The closest fourteener to us is probably somewhere in Colorado. Yeah, because they've got, they got all the, quite a few. Don't they? Colorado like, and I think Mount Whitney in California. Yeah, cause that's where like. Uh, it, it's really big, right? And Colorado is like doing, you know, peak bagging. Which I don't know, like Mount Rainier might be. I don't think it is, but Mount Rainier might be up there too. But I yeah, th- yeah, I think it's got to be. It just seems so tall. I don't it's know. always got like snow on it, so I figured yeah. it was up there. Although it might not be because it looks tall because it's at sea level, right? So oh, good point. Right. So I don't yeah. know exactly what the Cascades are, but we need our fact checker in the yeah. background checking all these. I know, dude. One of these days, man. Like if this. 
podcast ever starts getting some, you know, some kind of like uh, funding or something, then yeah, I'll have to we'll get, get the old third party. Yeah. Well, yeah. Back to that video Grand Traverse. So, um, yeah, we're kind of getting hit by this lightning storm and that passes and everything, and we're just up in the mountains. It's just a beautiful place to be, and so, but um, we're kind of looking at what we had to do for the next. Oh yeah. So Rainier is fourteen four. So I guess that would be the closest peak to us. Maybe Colorado's just as close, but yeah. Yeah, that's big. So either Washington or Colorado, or you're gonna get your fourteens. But Montana, yeah. nothing higher than granite twelve eight, and then and then um, actually, the Grand Teton is not the highest peak in Wyoming. Um, Gannett Mountain is huh. taller by like a hundred feet or something like oh, that. Really? And yeah, that no, one's no. really hard to get to. That one's like way back in i think it's in the wind rivers oh really it's like way back in there and you know i want to say it's like 15 or 20 miles one way Jeez. to get to it and it's just it's a hard one to do so i thought i was climbing the tallest peak in wyoming when i climbed the grand but it turns out it's not Dang it. so yeah, i got I, one i never even heard of that but that's good though yeah but yeah i'll, I'll stop interrupting well you. anyways that's good to know yeah but uh so back to the the bitter grand traverse which is it's it's an awesome alpine climb, and um, it's impressive what what Nate did to, yeah. to be able to run that and and climb those peaks and get back to the trailhead in, in like six hours. You know, we took a couple of days to do it, and that was our intent. But um, so we're looking at the back of the three sisters or the Como peaks. They're all right next to each other, and they're all about the same height. Yeah, and so we're on the back side of them, which would have been the south side of them, and you kind of kind of come up that way and you hit the first one and the second one and we're kind of climbing on this lower section of the ridge we hit the peak come down and you kind of got to go down and then back up the other one and we get to this section where we're scrambling through some trees and some rocks and we're looking up we're like oh there's like looks like a notch here we'll just boulder up this and it's like 20 feet up this little notch and it's a, a little bouldering couple bouldering moves to get up to this ledge and then keep going on the ridge and so we're sitting there queuing up to do this little boulder move and i look over and there's an old ice axe sitting there just leaned up against the cliff we're like hmm. whoa look at that look at that cool thing and you know if you read the guidebooks it says bring an ice axe to get up the snow cool are on old el capitan oh. you know and so people have done this route before this isn't like we're doing a first ascent or anything and so this is a known thing but you know there's a lot of old school climbers in this valley in the bitterroot valley and um those guys who knows who was back there but you know they've been doing this stuff for the 60s and 70s they were pioneering this stuff way before all the cool kids showed up in the 80s and 90s to yeah. start documenting the stuff that, uh, oh i did this it's like how do you know you were the first person to do it because you know we we're out there climbing and we see this ice axe wooden shaft straight it's just an old old ice axe and like just sitting there like that's sort of rotting away the the wood had started rotting away and the metal head axe head was still there and part of the the handle and it was still there and so we're like dude that's really cool like let's pack that out and like yeah. keep that, you know? And so my buddy, he might've actually found it. And he, I, I think he might've saw it first cause he ended up with it. Cause usually, you know, the first person to find something gets to keep it. Yeah, so it he sticks. ended up with it, which yeah. I really wanted it pretty bad. Cause it was just like a cool thing, but yeah, great to have. But like... we, we took that off the mountain and it's just like, I always remember finding that thing. It's just really cool. You're like, Holy cow. Like someone was right. Cause we're just thinking 
there's never been anyone on this spot. They went around and went up some other way, and then all of a sudden we find this ice axe. Like, I can't believe someone else was actually probably trying to climb this little boulder to get up on the ridge, but it makes sense when you're doing the route. You're kind of following the cliff, and there's, like, an opening in it, and so it just makes sense that that's where the route goes to get up on top. And so we're just kind of, oh, we're out in the middle of nowhere, and then all of a sudden you find something of the past you know yeah. you're like that's really freaking cool that's so cool man anyways we finished that and five peaks two days all off trail mostly besides the first start and you know the last little bit coming off the last como peak is just brutal oh, tons does. and tons of cliffs that you have to just navigate around all off trail and so you know when you're wore out at the end of a trip you're coming down it's just it's a grind you yeah know? and like and you but, hate it you hate it at the moment you know like it's just sucks yeah and you're hating it but then you know when you accomplish something like that and at the end of your trip um as much pain and suffering as you went through it turns out that's what you're going for you know yeah. kind of going on those trips for that pain and suffering and at the time it kind of sucks yeah but when you're done with it and talking about some of these things now, it was such a fantastic time that that's why you do these kind of things is honestly for that, that pain and suffering in a way. I don't yeah. know. It's kind of a weird thing, but it is, man. Some I'm, people don't want to go through that pain and suffering. There's it's uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. You know, there's yeah. a lot of, when you're in the mountains or you're outside, it can be some really uncomfortable situations and that might be why people don't spend as much time outside they don't like to be uncomfortable yeah totally man and like the the phrase i've been hearing a lot lately with folks is there's not bad weather there's only bad clothing right and that yep. applies i think so much now and it's going to in the future it's going to keep getting better but the technology we have now i mean even just like sitka and kuyu and some of the hunting brands mm -hmm. are so lightweight so warm and waterproof you know like in in um flexible you know like it's more of these athletic uh hunting gear which you know patagonia and uh arteryx and north face and everybody else you know mountain Hire, all the other brands that are doing stuff are you know building more athletic fit more like supporting comfortable clothing and you know like smart wool socks darn wool darn mm -hmm. darn tough you know yeah. anything marine wool really you know all those brands are building a lot better products it's like the guy who was carrying the ice axe whatever he was wearing was you know Good for the day, probably mostly wool, itchy wool, you know. But Dude, that was crazy. Just a fox just shot past the window behind you. No. Yeah, that was kind of cool. Which way to go? He shot to this the way? right, but yeah. I'm looking out the window here, the the podcast trailer, and a little fox just ran by, which was pretty cool. Cool, man. Yeah. That's a good sign, hey. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Talk dude. about that gear. That yeah. guy's got the right gear. Yeah, man, old fox. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're talking uh, about that cool. old school gear, you know? Yeah, those those folks. Wool socks, leather boots. Yeah. wool pants you know who knows what they had yeah for socks right yeah like, wool socks probably at least leather which is coat nice. or whatever you know who knows but yeah. so yeah things have came a long ways even even from when i was buying gear yeah same when like, I was when in, I like my heyday of buying gear i haven't bought a lot of stuff in the last you know 10 years or so you know spending money on the old kiddo but yeah you know here and there replace things out i tend to wear things as long and as much as possible before i just buy something new you know yeah. wearing this tore up jacket and then finally like 
all right, it's not working anymore. I got to get something new, you know? Yeah, because that's yeah. kind of the problem. It gets packed down a little bit, like the down jackets and stuff, you know? Like, it isn't quite holding up the weather. And you're like, a, you probably have some old school, like, uh, like weatherproof, you know, that, like, weatherproof kind of somewhat waterproof material. It's like a lot of these, uh, like, windbreaker kind of jackets were made of them. Like, Martin ha- Mountain Harbor had a bunch back in the early 2000s. And I remember my first one was awesome. And now you can, you can feel a little bit of wind coming through it now, you know? It's <laughs> yeah. still great. It's still holding up. It's like... Uh, wind stopper they used to make and yeah. uh, yeah, just like, it wears out over time you know they're yeah. just like layers that break down with anything and it's yeah. just over time stretching just, and yeah. yeah i got a good story about a coat you know those puffy coats they'll roll up into like a ball basically they kind of fold up into themselves and zip themselves into like a little pillow almost yeah you can stuff them in its own pocket yeah well yeah. i was out on this backcountry tour with a buddy and we're climbing this peak to go ski it and it's mid winter maybe towards the end of the winter but it's still really really cold out and you know you need those layers right well yeah. you're you're touring up you don't need a down jacket right you need your down jacket for the downtime and and just staying warm when you're on the summit or something like that or or hanging out in camp and and so we're climbing up this peak and we get up on the ridge and we're, we're climbing, we're like, we're really close to the summit, and like, all right, well, let's stop and take a little break here, catch our breath, get some water, and I open up my pack on the side of this face, and I had that puffy balled up in yeah. this ball, basically, and I rip open my pack, and I'm kind of fatigued, and I'm not thinking, and I'm like, rip open my pack, and all of a sudden, I'm on this pretty steep slope, that jacket flops out of my pack, and it's like a basketball just starts rolling oh, down the mountain. No. And I'm like, oh, crap, crap, you know, and I, like, kind of made a move for it. And I wasn't going to, like, fall off this cliff to grab it or go down this. So it just starts going. And I'm like, fall over, like, stop, stop, stop. Yeah. No, didn't stop. This coat this is a sweet down jacket, like, 800 fill down jacket oh, yeah. puffy jacket yeah. is cartwheeling down this <laughs> face yeah. and i'm like stop stop come on stop never stop this thing rolled probably thousand feet two thousand oh. feet down this face down this gully and just kept going and i'm like it's gone yeah bye and it's like it's not it's totally opposite of the way we're going I'm not going to spend an hour going down there and getting it. I'm like, it's gone. Yeah. I'm like, that is going to make a really awesome squirrel's nest. <laughs> yeah. I hope. Yeah. I just thought I was like, sacrifice that down jacket to the to the squirrels. Yeah. So, yeah, that was disappointing watching oh. that thing just roll and roll just and roll and roll down this mountain. I was like, and, uh, and I actually needed it at the end of that trip. We, we climbed this peak and we skied down this couloir. It was, it's pretty a nasty entrance to this couloir and, yeah. and we, we get in it, you know, we're shoveling the cornice away to get in it and you're like looking down and you're like, Holy cow, this is pretty gnarly. And we ended up accomplishing our goal and getting down this couloir and heading out and, and the tour back to the car was, was at night and, and it was getting cold, you know? I mean, it was, it was pretty brutal. It was, it was pushing zero, I think towards the end of the night. And I'm like really wishing I had that jacket. Dude, I bet man. it's gone. Never did. Never, did, never, never did seen recover. again. Oh, I was hoping this is gonna have a happy ending. Where you like, no, uh, not a not a good ending to that story. No. But I'll never forget watching that jacket just 
kind of ping pong ball down this face going, oh, it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, goodbye. Yeah. Oh, that's Luckily, tough, I got a good deal on it, so it didn't really set me back too much. But, man, it was heartbreaking. And, uh, Especially uh, when like, it's a piece of gear you're never going to use. Like, yeah, luckily nothing like came of it because, you know, I've heard these stories about people climbing on, like, bigger peaks and stuff. And, and if you lose, like, a, a glove or something. Oh, your whole hand's gone. Yeah, you know, people have lost gloves on Everest or lost a crampon or something. They can't go anywhere. And, you know, it can be a, a fatal mistake. Yeah, you know? dude. So it's amazing how much gear, like every piece of gear, is important on those big trips. Yep. Like so, I mean, like Everest and you know all those big, you know, like uh, summits are crucial. But even like you said, like even on a smaller trip like that, like if something happens and you end up getting stranded for a minute, like you lose that one layer, man. That can Either make for a really uncomfortable time or uh, last that's the last time you have on Earth. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm glad that wasn't. Got yeah. a good funny story, I guess, to tell. But yeah, you're just a, a heartbreaking story of watching a sweet jacket leave you leave you forever. <laughs> yeah, it's like there it goes. And yeah, goodbye. Please stop. No. Yeah. So, anyways. Yeah. Well, shoot. I really, I really appreciate you coming out, dude. Yeah, man. And uh, I think we could do this for hours, but I gotta I think get we rolling. could. Yeah, that's cool, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. And, you know, I know we we're gonna maybe. I was thinking we might talk about some other stuff, but maybe that's a different day. I think yeah, we could throw a little teaser out there if you want for the next one, like uh, talk about T- Teddy Roosevelt, right? Yeah, we're you know kind of brainstorming on stuff, you know, with this rec management theme because that's what we're in. I'm in the business of recreation management, and um, really was thinking we would start with that and just just trickle down from there. But it sort of got more into my personal life a little bit. But yeah, because um, I want yeah, wanted, good yeah, old I wanted Teddy to, Roosevelt. Yeah. I want to tell your story, give you a little background, so like listeners can kind of figure out like that, you know, where where you come from for like a lot of the adventure stories, you know. Oh, like, I got you. Yeah, I grew up in the woods and stuff. So like, yeah, and I knew it was gonna be a bit. So I, I don't. Know, I guess I thought we'd get to Teddy Roosevelt, but there's a lot there, man. I think all the stories are amazing. So I wanted listeners to be able to hear some of that. And totally, yeah, yeah but, it was cool. I mean, even just like throwing out like Lee Metcalf and 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 that kind of stuff which ties into the work some of the work that i've done and stuff but um yeah and being yeah. a dad and getting your daughter involved you know and like this new generation and and mountain yeti and stuff you know yeah, it's man. important i appreciate yeah. that thanks for having me on and yeah. yeah i look forward to coming back maybe talk about some other stuff yeah yeah like so teddy roosevelt man and that uh eleven thousand. <laughs> that's wild yeah and yeah that's a whole nother deal but man he's a, he was a crazy guy like youngest president ever i mean we're talking 120 years ago this guy was 1900s is when he was a president and sort of um making his way out west but you know there that's a whole another podcast talking about old teddy roosevelt and, yeah. and some of the things he did and yeah that that whole expedition he did to africa for the smithsonian is kind of what you're talking about there yeah, yeah so i forgot so. to throw that teaser out there and geez I like him yeah, well, I, we could keep going because there's like a uh, South America trip that he almost died on or something in his later years. I mean, the guy was just an animal. Yeah, I couldn't imagine that. We talk about gear. Yeah. How? yeah. So, yeah, we're going to have to explore that. Yeah, definitely, man. We'll do a little deeper dive on, on Teddy Roosevelt and all recreation right. and all that stuff. But Cool. Um, Look forward to it. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, where could people grab, like, if they want to support your... your uh, well, if anyone's out there listening to me... Um, 406 Mountain Yeti on Instagram is, is where I'm at. So yeah. at 406 Mountain Yeti is where I'm at. And, um, you can find me on the slopes in the winter. Yeah. Can people get some gear if they want to, you know, yeah, you just support message you? me through message through Instagram is, is sort of my, my way to go. You know, I, I used to do Facebook, but they started charging for everything. And, yeah. but, uh, Instagram just, 
just sort of the easiest way to connect through social media if you, everyone wants a hat or a shirt so yeah support you know support a good cause you know thanks for the plug yeah yeah no problem i appreciate you coming on and thanks to everybody who's listening and uh you know who've been following me on this journey it's a pretty cool one and we're gonna keep it rolling so yeah man find your next adventure yeah absolutely thanks everybody